right, welcome back to another great episode of Dan on Top. I'm your host, Dan Lukowitz, and today, wow, do we have one heck of a guest. The president of the Boulder Group, Randy Blankstein. Randy, how you doing? Good, Dan. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. It is my absolute pleasure. I don't even know what to say. The Boulder Group is known nationwide, probably worldwide, as the leader in net lease um, information, research, etc. And and I'm just I'm flattered to have you here. Everyone, I just want to say buckle up because we are in for one heck of a treat. So, Randy, before we get into the technical analysis and all the information and, and, and everything that you do, I want to know a little bit about who you are. So tell our audience, who is Randy Blankstein? Um, the, the simple answer is uh, a commercial real estate veteran that's been in the business for 30 years. Um, you know, I'm, a, I'm a, a father of three, married for 25 plus years. Um, live in the suburbs of Chicago, and um, you know I've been a uh, long time in this business, a veteran. Hopefully that doesn't age me too much, but uh, you know, kind of excited to be here every day. The Netflix industry is, I've watched kind of grow from you know to something that was just random single tenant properties to you know ten plus REITs and, and a whole industry. So it's been an exciting time, and I'm you know happy to be a part of it. Absolutely, yeah, absolutely, and you're you're an incredible contributor. I know myself personally. I consume all of all of the reports that are put out by the Boulder Group, and I'm excited for you to share that, some of that uh, information and knowledge here today. So let's just jump right into it, Randy. Give us a breakdown and a run through of the net lease market in quarter one, 2021. Um, you know, it's really been the start of a rebound. Obviously, last year was challenging, especially Q2 with the start of COVID. You know, it continued to go up throughout the year. And, you know, now I think there's a widespread anticipation of a lot of activity and volume in Q2. And uh, people are starting to prepare for that. You know, we're still, people are still focused on essential and investment grade in the long term. But as the year goes on, I think people are going to dip into kind of second chair casual dining, dip into gyms, dip into movie theaters. So, you know, we're optimistic that, you know, we keep getting better from here for the year. And so far, the 10-year treasury interest rates are, are fairly low. So, you know, we're real optimistic for this year. And, you know, it's a good thing because, like I said, Last year was the first down year in a long time, and I think everyone's looking for better days ahead. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So let me ask you two follow-up questions based on what you just said. Gross, sorry, uh, at gyms and movie theaters. You mentioned that that you have some positive projections for those. Well, look, movie theaters are kind of a, a longer-term issue, and I think people's attitude is, look, let's wait and see how people come back. Let's look at the numbers, and if they're good enough, you know, let's get back into that sector. You know, gyms again, I think it's. Everyone understands that people are going to continue to work out or continue to get healthier and are going back. The question is, you know, how many people have changed their habits enough through, you know, Mirror or Peloton or what other things um, where they don't want to go to the gym or don't want to go to the gym as much. So, you know, I think people expect the numbers to be down at least initially because some of the people have changed their habits. But, you know, long term, I, I think the gym prospects are, um, you know, fairly positive. Mm-hmm. And now you mentioned about the the 10-year treasury. Now, I mean, if we look at things over time, right, the 10-year is very low. But if we kind of zoom in a little bit, there's never been a period in recorded history where the 10-year T, uh, treasury bill has gone up so quickly. What do you think about that rapid increase in, in rates uh, on net lease? Well, look, you have to go off a very bad base in a historic pandemic and understand that it got to levels which were you know, had never been seen before. So even if it goes to 1.5 and it started at 0.6, percentage-wise, it goes up a dramatic amount. But in reality, it changes someone's financing costs from, you know, three and a quarter to 370 or 375. You're already below a lot of bases and, and minimums for banks anyway, so no one could fully take advantage of the low-tenure treasury 
sure. for that for this specific thing. So again, it's been up over the last year, but you know, you have to look at over the last ten years and you know, over the last ten years were one of the lowest years <laughs> in the last ten. So, you know, if compared to six months ago, yes it is up. And I think, you know, it could end the year, you know, one seventy five to two, but I don't think anyone's thinking it's gonna be dramatically higher a year from now. So not like, a major concern for you though. Not yet. I mean, I look, I think, you know, two to three years out, I think everyone has concerns about the amount of borrowing and spending and everything else that we do. But I don't think we're going to see that play out right now because you have to remember the biggest borrowers is the U.S. government. So, you know, they'll be affected first and most by increasing rates. So I think it's going to be a slow climb, not a dramatic shift on a day to day basis. Sure. That's definitely good to hear. So, you know, one of the things I did, Randy, when the pandemic hit was I, I pivoted very quickly away from the multi-tenant shopping center space and, and, and more into the, you know, net lease auto sector as well as quick service restaurants. Talk to us about those two sectors and, and why they've performed so well. Well, look, I think auto, you know, it had a few things going for it. Obviously, besides kind of essential to a large extent, I think a lot of people were under undervalued for it in their portfolio. I don't think a lot of people had you know, a lot of caliper collisions had a lot of other type of businesses that are expanding in their portfolio. I mean, I think people are fairly full of maybe dollar stores at this point. <laughs> and, mm-hmm. you know, they were underweight auto. And I think there's auto options that weren't there previously. You know, usually there wasn't. There was franchise dealerships, not corporate dealerships. And now you see Tesla start getting into corporate dealerships sure. and Tesla starting to trade. So there's new products like that. Again, you have Caliber expanding. You know, Falcon and Jiffy are, do- Jiffy Loop are doing well. You know, I think there's just a lot of people in the, in the auto sector that previously had been viewed as specialized, you now became viewed as essential. So <laughs> the perception of a change, and I think auto obviously is a great business. I think everyone's always, you know, the only concern over auto at the moment is, you know, what share of EV is, is going to take up over time. Yeah. And how long does that, how long does that transition take? But again, it's not going to be a short transition. It's right. going to take, you know, the average car on the road, I think is 11 years. So even if it was the majority today, you know, it would take years for it to play out. And even today, I think it's less than 3%. So you know, it's clearly the future, but it, you know, the future is not tomorrow morning. Right. Absolutely. That's definitely a good point. So, walk us through in general. I guess I would say cap rates in terms of where they've fallen over the last twelve years, how they've ch- changed, and then your projections for the different sectors moving forward. You know, look, cap rates have gone down. You know, almost since I got into business, and I'll date myself back to the mid '90s. Um, you know, because interest rates have driven down and. You know, there's also been an understanding of the asset class. There's been transparency behind the asset class. And, you know, now I think the biggest trend is there's a, you know, a huge demographic class of, you know, baby boomers gauging for retirement or looking at retirement. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they're undersaved, looking for higher yields. They can't get there on a bond market. So if you're a bond investor, let's say you're investing in 10-year treasuries, you know, let's call it you get a 1.6% yield at the moment. You know, even if you invest at a 5% cap rate in an equity property, you're effectively tripling your returns. Sure. Yes, you're certainly taking on a new and different risk. Um, but, you know, as a part of your portfolio, it looks real attractive. And so the global search for yield, you know, net lease I view is the it's the bond market of of the equities, meaning, you know, people look at bonds, you know, stocks are where you get rich, bonds is where you play defense. You know, mm-hmm. net lease is defense. I think a lot of people are looking for conservative passive investments and, you know, fixed income that's much greater than treasury. So, you know, this is kind of a net lease moment. 
Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, it's an interesting time for us, Randy. I know that as a broker myself, I'm seeing the supply on the market just, it's incredibly low. Uh, The supply of quality inventory even lower. I mean, I just, as an example, last night I was working on a deal, off market deal, and we had a buyer who went non refundable day one, $200,000 earnest money deposit, 21 day close. And, you know, had a property last week I listed, a quick, quick service restaurant. Eight offers in the first day, four of them at or above ask. And that's just by virtue of the fact that the inventory is so limited on the market today, especially quality inventory. So how do you expect the current supply constraints to kind of come back into balance in the near in the future? Well, it's a little misleading because, you know, initially I would have thought something similar to what you're saying. The reality is, um, and our first Q1 report says it, you know, volume is actually up as far as properties on the market, you know, 8 to 10%. What's down dramatically is the number of high-quality properties on the market. Mm-hmm. So, you know, things with over 10 years, you know, it's hard to find a McDonald's or a Chick-fil-A. But if you want to go find a two-year family dollar in the boonies, they're there. <laughs> sure. And a lot of people are putting their, their second and third-tier stuff on the market because they see these crazy cap rates for the best stuff. And they're trying to take advantage of it. So, you know, the essential best product stuff, trophy stuff or net lease, very, very little supply, multiple offers, huge demand. You know, the secondary and third tier stuff, if people go out on the yield curves again later in the year, I see gyms, you know, second tier casual dining like Applebee's or Ruby Tuesday, um, you know, things which people aren't seeking <laughs> but are there on the market, you know, there is a lot of that product. I think also as the market stays hot, there'll be new supply because I think there'll be a new sale lease back. And, you know, people forget that development kind of got pushed back last year. Yes. And so the supply of new development this year is very thin. So again, you know, that's starting to, to pick back up, you know. Projects from last year's weren't canceled, but they were certainly delayed. So, you know, as the second half of the year comes in, I think sales bet market picks up, development kind of kicks in. So it's not gonna it's not gonna, you know, imbalance balance the, the, the highest quality stuff isn't gonna run into balance, but it's gonna be closer than it is today to have that product available. But for the short term, good time to own high quality assets. Absolutely, no question about it. So you see it sounds like nothing but good things for our sector here moving forward. Like I said, I'm a pretty skeptical person in general and look for the negatives. I mean, short of an interest rate spike or some event out of the blue like COVID, um, you know, this looks to be the best year in a long time. Wow. Great to hear. Great to hear. So, look, there's a topic that's on everyone's radar, and I want to hear your opinion. Talk to me about the 1031. So, look, I'm a little bit older than you, and the 1031 exchange market has been, um, law has been under attack since every year I got in the business. You know, skeptically, I'd always thought it was because they were never going to get rid of it, and politicians knew that real estate was going to always fund to defeat it, and then they get credit for defeating something and some money for something that was never going to pass anyway. Mm. Um, so that's kind of thing how I went along for a long time, and I still believe that to a large part. You know, I don't think 1031 exchanges will go away by itself. The only chance for 1031 to go away is if it gets caught up in a dramatic, large, across-the-board, you know, tax reform that hits everybody, like, you know, anything over $4,000 a year of income, no matter if it's real estate or whatever it is, you know, that's kind of harder to stop. <laughs> I think if they just target 1031 individually, there's a lot of pushback and a lot of reasoning and people will listen to it and the industry will be behind it. But again, if it's a broader tax, you know, reform, might be harder to stop. You know, we took a poll on this a few months ago and, you know, 60% thought it was not going to change, 20% thought it was minor modification, you know, the rest of you thought it was going to be major modification or dead. Um, you know, I think minor modification at best. Maybe they mm-hmm. only let you do one or two a year, 
put some you know limits at the top end. That's kind of all I would see at the moment. And if that would go through, do you think that that would have a substantial impact on our market? Um, it would certainly have an impact. I mean, look, a lot of the, a lot of the extreme pricing, which is a Chick Fil A, the three seven five cap, doesn't yeah. exist when there's ten thirty one exchanges. Right. So at the lower at the lower end, things below five cap are certainly the you know McDonald's ground leases, Chick Fil A, Starbucks, anything that trades under five cap certainly is in trouble if if ten thirty one exchanges go away or, or scaled back. But again. I think there's a chance of it. I don't think it's an overwhelming chance at this point. Good you to know, hear. Subject to change, but I've, I've heard this before. And, you know, the real estate industry, luckily, is pretty strong lobbying. And I encourage everyone who's watching the show to, you know, write a letter to your congressman, your senator, et cetera, to do what we can to push back on it. Absolutely. No question. I would agree with that 100%. In fact, I did it myself. Just got a letter back from my congresswoman uh, last week. So I definitely would recommend that. So, look, Randy, you've been in the industry for uh, quite some time. And I'm sure that you've learned a lot. So if you could share maybe your top two or three uh, le- lessons that you learned since you've been in the industry. Um, my first lesson is cut back on your emotion, which is hmm. you know, don't ride the up and downs of the deal because, you know, every deal has um, – when you're doing well, don't, don't think you're great. And when you're doing poorly, don't think you're terrible. You know, you have to kind of ride it out even level. You know, I've seen the ups and downs and see my income swing 80% in a given year. And – you know, sometimes it's the market, sometimes it's a bad streak, whatever it is. You know, people get too caught up in one individual deal or one, you know, one thing going south or a bad streak and they either get down on themselves, you know, look to other industries or look to diversify or, or change their category they target, whatever it is. You know, I, I think you have, unfortunately have to take a long view and write it out. And it's easy to say in my position when maybe you don't need day to day paycheck. Um, but the reality is, um, you know, it's a good business if you do the right thing, you build a strong reputation and, you know, you plug away day by day. You know, there's no shortcuts. Everyone's always looking for one. I, I still haven't found one, and I'm doing pretty well. There you go. So, if we have viewers out there that are considering or contemplating getting into the net lease space from other, more maybe more traditional equities investing or other forms of commercial real estate investing, what kind of advice would you give them, Randy? Look, I think first, and one of the reasons we did this whole research thing was because there wasn't, especially at the time, 20 years ago, um, a wide variety of, of data and out and and information on the sector. Look, I think it's a sector that becomes more attractive the more you know about it. So look, we do research, a lot of other firms do research. You know, it, it pays to really get to know um, each of the each of the tenants, understand credit ratings, understand the financing, understand the risk involved, you know, kind of look at things, how they become full cycle, look at some of the read perspectives. Again, I think the digger the digger you deep in, um, the better things you'll find. But again, you know, I've seen some uneducated people too get in and think it's easier than it is. Um, and it's not super complicated, but it does take time and effort. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Great advice there. Appreciate that. And talk to us a little bit. We've got maybe about three minutes left. One asset class or, or, or facet of the net lease space that we haven't talked about is the industrial category. I'd love to hear your thoughts on industrial. Look, industrial, obviously, e-commerce share is still growing in the market. And, um, you know, industrial is a, a great asset class. It's, it's much less expensive than office to retenant. And, you know, office also has other challenges at the moment regarding utilization and, you know, can people work from home more on a more permanent or temporary basis? So office suffers from those issues. Retail suffers from issues of, you know, some good tenants, some not so good tenants and, you know, changing floor plates and changing business models. So, you know, retail has some efforts. And, you know, even before e-commerce came, the U.S. was over retail when you compare it to Europe, another thing on a per square foot basis. So, you know, retail has some challenges, but again, you just, if you're in the right names, you're probably fine. And if you're in the wrong names, you know, 
things probably won't go for you so well in the long term. Um, whereas industrial, you know, the, the uh, asset itself is less specialized, is easier to convert, has less downtime, uh, less TIs. You know, it's a great asset class. The problem is there's not that many properties available on, on a, mm-hmm. you know, why the volume is pretty good on a yearly basis is because it's a few large transactions. It's not hundreds of million and $2 million transactions. You know, Amazon deals for $20 million plus for the most part, FedEx, things of that nature. So again, they're a great product, but there's a lot of competition for it. You need to you know, choose your spots carefully. But you know, look, I love the industrial asset class and I have for a long time. I have some family in the business and, uh, you know, I think industrials, my personal favorite are the best, but again, has a lot less opportunities and a lot of them are larger. So there's not a ton of way to entry points from two to $4 million investors in industrial. Sure. Yeah, yeah, that's absolutely some some great points there. I think that, that I read some interesting research that came out recently about, I believe there's about 31 markets in the U.S. that are all poised to see um, potential rental increases of 25% or more um, in the next five years, which I think is absolutely incredible. Um, and if you look uh, over the last year, I also was reading that we've seen a 27% increase from 2019 to 2020 in terms of number of square feet of new industrial leases signed. So I just think the demand is there, the rental rates are increasing, the cap rates are decreasing. So that's a space that is 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 one to watch, and I think that investors should highly consider getting involved in uh, as things continue to change and shift. Say, so, hey, listen, Randy, this has been an absolute pleasure. Really appreciate you taking your time to come on the show and provide such a value-packed episode. Episode. Thanks for having me. Good luck on the show. It's great. I'm a listener and uh, you know, hope to do it again in, in a while. Awesome. I'm Dan Lukowitz, your host of Dan on Top. This has been another great episode. We'll look forward to seeing you soon.